might think that that million dollar client is well taken care of. What we're finding is that they're actually not well taken care of. There's a lot of them out there you know, up for grabs. I'm going to come back to our business development process, which is work in the book, work in the bank, and work in the community. We've gone back to existing clients and said, hey, listen, for what we do, the amount of hours we spend with you and the services that we offer you, we're going to bump your fee by a quarter percent. We've never had a client say no. 80% of the revenue, when you look, comes from 20 to 25% of clients without fail. And so when you remove a lot of those smaller clients or things that are just of a service nature and transactional, they really do start to get better at their craft. They get better at profiling. They get better at having a direct conversation. There's no better way to learn about other products and services and the capabilities of the bank than to be sitting next to a colleague when they're delivering it live in front of a client. So we teamed up with Wharton, probably the single best thing we did. And our advisors went through a three-year program and the feedback was off the charts. I would say without fail, almost every single one of them have grown their business dramatically. One of the other things we started to do, which clients have loved, is we do team meetings. All six of us are in the room with the client. We'll have 150 remote individuals in three locations in the US that will be nothing but phone-based remote salespeople. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of BISA Industry Trend Watch titled, A Look Ahead, 2021 and Beyond. In this initial episode of 2021, not only will we cover the latest trends in the financial institutions channel as tracked by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, but we will also look ahead through 2021 and beyond at the critical strategic initiatives that will drive the future success of our channel. For this discussion, we are joined by two BISA presidents, one current and one past. We are also joined by a high-end producing manager of a six-person team who exemplifies a model that may drive our future growth. A big thank you to Ameriprise, our sponsor for coordinating the participation of this guest. This special episode will be presented in two parts. We would like to again thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. We will then turn it over to Janet Capaletti, the creator of bankchannelresearch.com, who will kick us off with her trending overview. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hi, this is Janet Capaletti, the Managing Director of Research for Stathis Partners and the creator of BankChannelResearch.com with highlights from January 2021. Production rose more than 20% over December, but that comes as no surprise because January is typically one of the highest months for recurring revenue. 
the increase would have been significantly higher except transactional revenue sank 20%, influenced by a 25% drop in fixed annuity business. As we move towards deeper relationships with our clients, business is looking a lot less transactional. This is evident comparing January with previous January. Managed money, the largest of all revenue categories, grew almost 10% compared to last January, but the transactional side dropped by a third, which sank total production by 10%. The biggest drop dollar-wise was fixed annuities, now 25% below last year and down 40% since last summer's peak. After months of decline, fixed annuities are now down to 12% of total revenue, closing in on variable annuities, which account for about 9%. I would like to thank LPL and Infinex for providing much of the important data used in these monthly analysis. Now off to Scott and Bob. Hello, I am Scott Stathis, and I will be your host along with Bob Mattel. And this is officially our first BISA Trend Watch episode of 2021. We have a great cross-section of programs represented today, not to mention a past president of BISA and the current president of BISA. We also have a very successful producing manager with us so we can get some feet on the street perspective. Uh, as we start this new year, we'd like this episode to focus on the trajectory of our industry and more specifically, the trajectory of our channel. And we'll start with how January productivity fared, but then move into some bigger picture questions. But first, let's start with introductions. Uh, Bob? Yes. Good day to all out there. I am Bob Mattel, and I am the co-producer of this podcast series. And let's meet our panel, Frank. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, thanks for having us. Uh, Frank Consolo, I head up sales at City Personal Wealth Management here in the US, current president of BISA. My first year uh, as president will end in March. And I've been an uh, active member and involved in BISA for, for about 22 years now. Thank you so much. And we also have with us Matt Griffin. Matt. Good afternoon. Thank you, fellas, so much for having me. Uh, my name is Matthew Griffin. I'm the program manager of Steward Concepts. Uh, we are affiliated with Family Trust Federal Credit Union. Uh, right now, we have two full-time advisors and one brand new one. So I would say that we have two and a half advisors. We're at about 133 million assets under management. Small credit union. Uh, we're just south of Charlotte. Credit union has about 400 million total deposits. And just happy to be here. Thank you, folks, for having me. And we appreciate you spending time with us today as well. We also have with us a past president, Sam Guerreri, from a bank that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Aha, then you can't be a client. If you can't pronounce it, you can't be a client. Thanks, Bob, and, and thanks, Scott, for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, uh, my name is Sam Guerreri. I'm, I'm proud to be uh, part of the BISA. I think, what has it been, Frank? Probably 20 years or so. But yes, I, I, um, I work for a company called uh, Canandaigua National Bank and Trust, a commercial bank in upstate New York. So uh, we're, we're a bank that has about $4 billion in assets. And uh, our wealth management business has $4 billion in assets under management. I'm the executive vice president in charge of the wealth management business at the bank. And we have about 20 wealth advisors. And those wealth advisors are responsible for managing books of business, uh, they develop relationships with those clients. Um, out of the 20 wealth advisors that we have, uh, 13 of them have their uh, CFP. So they are, are broad in the planning aspect of things. And uh, just about two and a half, uh, three years ago, we launched into our branch-based wealth program. And we now have seven 
financial advisors uh, working in, in our branch network. We're pretty excited about uh, the momentum that we have and uh, looking forward to uh, the podcast here today. Thanks again to all three of you for, uh, for participating in the podcast this morning. As usual, we always typically lead off with a question about what's going on in the industry. And based on our bank channel research data, January production was up significantly. How does that compare with your programs? And even though we're still in the middle of a pandemic, 12, 12 months in now, do you feel like you've settled into what we'll call the new normal? Uh, Frank, let's start with you. Um, great question. And, and look, I don't know what the new normal will be because I, I think what we thought was abnormal has, has become like pretty much daily routines now. So in my shop, right, we have about 1,000 salespeople with 500 are dedicated financial advisors. The other 500 are relationship managers. We have three client segments. We have those that are zero to 50,000, 50 to 200, and our gold clients, 200 and above. But then we have a, a fourth segment. We just started uh, CPCs, and that's for our million dollars and up clients. We've seen the biggest growth and actually acquisition of the million and up. So there's a lot of opportunity uh, in the industry. Many of us might think that that million dollar client is well taken care of and you know everybody wants them. But what we're finding is that they're actually not well taken care of. And there's a lot of them out there you know, up for grabs. So our business in January, um, I mean, look, it was the single best month the firm's ever had. So we were up 30% over January of last year. And that was a great month last year. Um, we saw, I mean, everything was going well in every segment. So our deposits, because of the last year with COVID, you know, deposits continue to grow abnormally fast, right? And we're going we're gonna to start to see money, I'm sure, come out as people start to spend again. But, um, you know, our deposits were up almost $9 billion last year for the year, which was, you know, we were expected to be up $1.5 billion. Um, and then our, our investment revenue, you know, on the brokerage side, it, we cl- crossed over $40 million for the month of January. February has followed up and actually been even better. Now there's less days in the month, but February right now is about nine million ahead of February last year, and we continue to see several several engines there. And it's um, continued money flowing into managed accounts. We have seen transaction volume pick up. A lot of that is due to um, syndicate business through our capital markets group. So that that has obviously helped as as a lot of companies have really gone to the markets for capital. You've seen the the flow towards SPACs. In the last three months, we've had about 35 offerings that are SPAC only. So that has really been a, a much different phase of the business that we haven't seen in the past, right? something new. And then third, we, we're seeing a lot of a lot of first-time people in the market. So they're opening new accounts. We saw our you know, new account volume um, spike up. So really, you know, all, when you look at every metric, whether it's deposits, our mortgage business has been booming. One of the things that we introduced a couple of years ago that has really paid a lot of dividends was relationship pricing. So we look at a client's um, in, in entire household value to city in both deposits, investments, and if they meet certain criteria, they can get up to five-eighths off the point off a mortgage, off the, off the stated rate. So we literally had 30-year fixed mortgages in the two and an eighth, two and a quarter range with no points, no fees. So like that's hard to beat. So that drives acquisition of new accounts. It drives acquisition of new assets through ACATs and, and other means and, you know, and cash coming over. Um, because to get the 5H, you have to have $2 million or more. So that's the type of client that we're attracting. And then what happens is, you know, we have programs through marketing member get member where if a client refers somebody, they can get thank you points. Um, we started something new called subscription services. So for our CPC clients, they can get up to $400 a year for uh, credits to Hulu, um, Amazon, Costco, 
TSA PreCheck and and several other Wall Street Journal. And then we just added a couple of other high end like uh, NetJets and things like that. So that's really been a way to go out and acquire these new households that are affluent, high net worth customers. And it's worked really well. And, you know, the, look, let's let's not forget, though, the winds that are back. The markets have been soaring. Right. We've had um, incredible performance in the equity markets and the bond markets and the real estate market. Nothing's been down. So I'd like to say it's all because of the work we're doing, but some of it is just sheer luck. And at the time that we happen to be in, in history, that you know everything's moving in the right direction. So that obviously brings a lot of people out. It's worrisome because you know you hear talk of bubbles and highs, and you know, or you know, if the retail investors getting in now, is it too late? But um, you know, I think taking the approach, and I think Sam might have said it right, with planning and having planning based, looking at diversification, ensuring that your clients. You know, are not going out of their you know risk risk profile. I think that protects them, and then, and of course, you always have dollar cost averaging and the ability to you know place assets in so many different asset categories that a client is well taken care of. So they've got fixed income guarantees, structured products, annuities, fixed income, and and managed accounts. So you know, I feel really good about where the business is, but I also realize that you know when we had that correction last April, May, and June, many of us thought we were staring into the abyss. I mean, it didn't feel too good. You know, waking up every morning with thousand point decline. So if that were to happen again, I'm sure business would fall off just like it did last year. Yeah, it sounds though that the focus on relationships should make those um, clients stickier to um, to city. I'm, I'm sure that will. Yeah, like so we we do um, one of our big drivers on scorecards and what the whole firm is trying to be focused on is, is net promoter score, you know, NPS. And our NPS in the in the client segment of million and up is off the charts. We're up in, uh, over ninety, which is really really. I mean, that's like Amazon Apple territory. Um, and then our gold clients, you know, we see it, it's not it's not quite that high. It's good, but it's not at that, that level. So, you know, surrounding that client with the with the suite of products and services that you can offer them, and the ability to be a global organization and offer you know the types of banking opportunities with inv- with borrowing and investing, you know, if that's the that type of client net profile of a client who might be a small business owner or a senior level executive uh, is looking for things the city can provide them. And, um, you know, the only way to get them here, right, is we're not the cheapest in town. We certainly aren't the most efficient at times, but, you know, it's the relationship, it's the individual. We really are focusing in, on marketing on, the, on, on that dedicated wealth team, which is the advisor, um, and an investment specialist, and then also the um, relationship manager. And really those three combined with the branch and with our mortgage partners and other, you know, small business bankers, it allows us to go to, to the marketplace, right, with a, with a team of city people that can help a client in, in pretty much any any aspect of their life. Uh, and, and that's a great story, right smack in the middle of a pandemic on top of it. So um, awesome. Uh, the great thing about our panel today, we have a great cross section of different programs. So Matt, why don't you take a step at this question? Sure, Bob. Thank you. So as far as how business trends are looking for us, uh, we are up year over year, just January 2021 versus January 2020. We're up about 8% year over year. Uh, which is well below what we've averaged, to be honest. Uh, I have a theory that my team would tell you is you know, kind of crazy, but I think if we're not growing at 20% year over year, you're kind of organically dying. You just don't know it yet. So we've always targeted a 20% annual growth. Um, I think this year, the reason we came up slightly short is we transitioned firms, right? So um, we're still in the, in the midst of that. Uh, we're about, I'd say we're 90% finished transitioning. But that does require some ramp up time, right? Getting paperwork signed and things like that. Um, month over month, December versus January, if you will, we're up 7% month over month. So it is accelerating. We're not doing anything special on the business side, 
other than people are, you know, accounts are still coming in. You know, we still have some people that are transitioning over. And um, I think that will continue probably through the end of the first quarter. Um, as far as the new normal, if you will, obviously, the, the pandemic was a, an awful situation, still is an awful situation. Um, however, I do think there's some positives that, that have come out of it. Uh, for example, it's really pushed uh, individuals out of their comfort zone. Clients that would have never gotten on a video call with me two years ago now will hop on a WebEx. They'll get on a Zoom. Uh, they'll use technology that they would have never considered, right? And it's also pushed some of the firms out of their comfort zones, right? You know, the pandemic, as awful as it was, now a lot of the firms are realizing, hey, we need to allow our advisors to be able to use these tools. It's table stakes. Uh, this is not something that's, you know, we can push off for five to seven to 10 years. So I think the new normal, and I know we'll get, you know, more into this later, but I think to the extent you can utilize technology, that's going to be a huge differentiator. And some of the people that have been in the business for 10, 20, 30 years may not be as comfortable using technology. Um, although I'm seeing even my elderly clients, they love it. Uh, my father's 88 years old. He knows how to FaceTime. He did not know that before the pandemic. So I think that's the way the new normal is going to kind of push us and our firm specifically. And it, it has a lot to do with, you know, with how we're going to build going forward. Can't agree more. We're going to have a question about technology later on, but um, think about where we were a year ago. You know, e-signature was, was not even implemented in many organizations. All right, Sam, your turn. Yeah, that, you know, just to build on DocuSign, boy, has that been a game changer for us. I mean, we were able to launch into it back in, just after the pandemic uh, got underway uh, across all of our lines of business at the bank. And it has not only significantly helped the wealth management business, but the mortgage business in particular. I mean, the amount of mortgages we can bring on now and do it online is just incredible stuff. So, yeah, looking forward to that technology question a little bit later. But in terms of our production, you know, things started to really pick up for us in October of 2020. You know, I, I can say that, you know, after the pandemic hit, you know, that that uh, first few months was all about handholding. We were actually trying to handhold all of our employees, right? Because there was just so much uncertainty out there. No one really knew how to conduct business. And we spent a considerable amount of time through the months of July, August, September, getting our advisors comfortable with these WebEx meetings and these Zoom meetings, because that's one thing I think is going to stick around for quite a while, even though some clients will be comfortable coming into the office or we'll be able to go see them. Most uh, of us will be in this virtual environment for quite a while. And, uh, and so making sure that our advisors are proficient with the technology to be able to get on, uh, you know, not to double mute themselves, stop the echoing, be able to share documents, all of those, you know, what, what, what's behind them in their office, right? You know, how they dress, how they look, all those things are extremely important. And we, we took them through significant training to get them to a point where they're feeling more comfortable now uh, with these virtual meeting environments. And, and I have to tell you, that's had a significant difference for us because client interactions, um, I, I think, is the number one a uh, way you continue to grow this business and staying in touch with your clients. Uh, we have a, uh, a business development process that focuses on three key areas. Uh, one is working the book of business. Uh, the other is working with our bank. Uh, and uh, the third is working with the community or our COIs. And I have to tell you, I was uh, really 
enthused by the amount of time people were working with their existing clients this year. And even if it was to revisit their financial plan, because we do take that financial planning approach, revisit the financial plan to ensure that they're on the right path uh, or make the necessary adjustments when needed. Um, that's a very important part of it. You know, when I think about that time we spent with them and also starting to engage the spouse and uh, the, the, it's the family members uh, is an extremely important part of our future. Both of those things have led to, to new business for us. So for all of 2020, uh, we were up about 3% uh, for the year. And uh, that, that is, uh, that's really, that's new business growth. That's not, uh, that's not just market value, that's new business growth. And if you look at it point to point, you know, when the pandemic started, call it April 1st through the end of the year, it was about 7% growth, which is right in line with what we normally do on an annual basis. Matt, I've got to ratchet up the team a little bit more to get them to that 20% mark. <laughs> I hope they're listening to this podcast. So, uh, so they'll be hearing that straight, straight from you. Um, but but uh, January is off to a really good start for us. And February, also another good month. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that the, the momentum is in the right direction. We've got our folks up and running on the virtual environment. And uh, I, think, uh, I think we're going to see a pretty good 2021 here. Great. Okay. But I, as, as, as you all said, I think those Zoom meetings and that virtual business is going to help uh, advisors really start to increase the usage of technology. And again, we'll talk more about that uh, later. Let me uh, pass on to Scott for the next yeah, question. Yeah, Sam, I want to keep you on point for a second, because one of the things you mentioned was uh, more business with existing accounts. So this question is a, um, it's kind of a big picture question. It's a strategic question and it's a forward looking question. You know, what's amazing to me is that we've come off of a good year, given everything that we've encountered. And what it tells me is that our channel is probably more agile than we even realized because we pivoted pretty quickly, right? I mean, some of the stuff that, that we've seen is, is really impressive and it has increased efficiencies and will do so permanently, right? I think virtual meetings will be part of the, the toolbox from now going forward uh, to a much more significant degree than, than they ever were. And I think the good advisors are now assessing which meeting should I do live and which meeting should I do virtually? And, and I think most advisors are going to come down on, uh, you know, uh, with the opinion that the majority of their meetings are going to be held virtually and the really important ones are going to be held live. That's going to increase the efficiency of, the, of their business pretty dramatically. And there are a number of other things that are silver linings from the pandemic that I think have a positive impact going forward. But, um, you know, nice, pat ourselves on the back, but we can't rest on our laurels. And what I mean by that is client expectations have increased based on this right? And we are one channel in a much broader financial services industry. Um, and, and how are we going to remain competitive? How are we going to differentiate ourselves? What are the, the most important strategies going forward for us that will be differentiators and different, uh, you know, difference makers? So, so the question is, what are some of the things that, that you guys are keeping your eyes on or maybe pushing from a strategic standpoint in your programs to keep up the momentum. And, and, and I'm going to go down a, a quick list of some of the things that, that we see 
during our work in the industry. But the one is what you said, Sam, it's advisors developing deeper relationships with a smaller set of clients. So, so it's that book optimization, right? No more 700 clients in your book. That just doesn't work. Um, you can't be all things to all people. So focusing on deeper relationship with that right segment of clients. So that's clearly one trend that we see. Another one is uh, an enhancement of the discovery process. So if you're going to get deeper with clients, you, ha you have to ask them the right questions. You have to really understand their needs, not only their financial needs, but their emotional needs and, and everything else. What is it that drives their financial decisions? So the discovery process is two. And clearly increase in financial planning, right? Our, our, our channel forever has been so reticent on embracing financial planning and it's finally happening and it has to continue to happen, right? There, I can statistically show that the majority of, of advisors still in our channel aren't doing financial planning with the majority of their clients and, and, they, and they need to do that. So financial planning, an increase in financial planning is another thing, a reduction of reliance on branch traffic. We're pushing traffic out of the branches, right? So we, we can't, if we used to put advisors in branches to get in the way of branch traffic, how are they going to get in the way of the new traffic, which is digital traffic? So it's data mining. So, so how do we get off of, you know, that weaning on, on, a, on a need for branch traffic? Three more things I see. So remote advisor centers, really having a ro robust remote advisor center. Geography doesn't matter anymore. Virtual meetings are here to stay. Do we need all of our advisors in branches? No, all right. I mean, especially for the you know the mass market clients, I think a remote advisor center is becoming more and more pivotal. Fee for service models, we're seeing an increase in that. Certainly in other channels, and to a degree in our channel as well. Um, and then lastly, strategic relationships with other critical departments in the institution. So really having a good relationship with the mortgage officer, with the business lender, et cetera, et cetera, right? Breaking down those walls and, and, and working cross-departmentally. So some, those are some of the things that, that we're seeing. So as you guys are running your programs, which of those resonated for you? And are you pushing any of those things forward? What do you, what do you think we have to kind of, what balls do we have to keep our eyes on to really push our channel forward over the next few years. And, and, and Sam, so like I said, I want to keep you on point. So maybe you can kick us off. Sure, Scott. Yeah. Everything you said, I mean, is, it's, it's very compelling when you think about it, the way you just described it all, all the things that we've been working on for years, especially in the area of technology and, and with the pandemic uh, in, in the silver lining for us was that it kind of pushed us to, to make those changes, right? Because change is hard. People resist change. But in some cases, we just jump right in, and and that has been a um, you know, a silver lining for us for sure. Um, just getting people to use the technology, you know, it's always out there, but adoption is what really matters, and and that's what we've been working on: the coaching and developing of our talent to leverage the technology uh, to the best of their ability and improve not only their experience but also the client's experience. So when you when you when you talk about that, I mean we're 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 not going to give up or stop on the training and the proficiency that we want our advisors to have with the kind of the technology or the tools associated with how we do business today. That's going to be extremely important for us. But if I could just kind of break it down, like I guess listening to the points that you're hearing in the industry, I'm going to come back to our business development process, uh, which is work in the book, work in the bank, and work in the community. That's essentially what it is. And working the book for us, it obviously is going back to the client, making sure their financial plan is in place or you know, continuing to evolve that financial plan. But I am a firm believer that we as an industry need to get to the next generation of those clients. 
We need to, we need to know the spouse. We need to have a financial plan on the spouse because oftentimes their risk tolerance is very different than the, the person that is running the money in the house. We need to get to understand the kids because uh, there's a lot of studies out there that say that advisors lose business when the, the main kind of the non-money person gets uh, the transition of assets. Um, I think the number is something like 90% of heirs leave their advisor. Uh, when their husband or wife pass away. So it's a, uh, it's a time right now for us to go deeper into those families, which gets to your point about less is more, right? Why should you have a book of 700 or 1,000 customers when you could have you know, 300 relationship clients and their families, right? Generation after generation. So working the book is extremely important and leading with financial planning is key. The second, work in the bank or working with the bank, uh, we call it synergy. Uh, and this is, uh, this is something that as a community bank, I, I, I really love about this place. It, it has um, such an incredible amount of trust across business lines uh, to, to introduce clients that have a need for a, um, a product or service in another line of business. So what we've done is really focused on kind of turbocharging what we call synergy. And our, our incentive plans are wrapped around um, a, a colleague makes a referral to another colleague in another line of business. That happens all the time. But really what we want to incent is the behavior of a pre-call plan where the two colleagues get together and discuss the needs of that client and then a joint appointment. And if you can get the joint appointment with another colleague from another line of business, two things happen. One, the client is ecstatic because you're bringing new ideas to them, right? That a lot of other places aren't doing. And the second is there's no better way to learn about other products and services and the capabilities of the bank than to be sitting next to a colleague when they're delivering it live in front of a client, right? You can go to all the training classes you want. You can read all the books you want, but until you see it live, it's a whole different dynamic. So we really encourage that pre-call plan and those joint appointments. And we think that when you do those things, you have uh, a direct correlation to success. I will say this, it's been harder because of the PPPs, right? And the commercial bankers and the business bankers are buried in a lot of work this past year. And, and our branches have been in difficult situations with frontline people dealing with the pandemic and dealing with customers. So that requires us in the wealth management side of the business to be much more proactive, kind of leading those synergy efforts. And then the last thing is working with the community and our COIs. We have a, com a community here in upstate New York that is um, a tremendous network of trust and estate attorneys. Uh, the trust and estate attorney business has, uh, you know, some, some bigger companies have made strategic decisions to move that expertise out of a local market like ours. Uh, we have been the beneficiaries of, of being able to acquire a lot of that talent. And we have been setting up these virtual networking events with trust and estate attorneys. I, I just got off one today where uh, we set it up. We reach out to the trust and estate attorneys. We, um, we ask them what we can do to help them. And it's just an opportunity to keep that networking going uh, without being able to do it in person like we have in the past. And I have to tell you, our biggest source of referrals 
come from trust in estate attorneys. So I tried to keep it simple, you know, with respect to those three buckets, but it really covers, Scott, most of the things that you're hearing about in the industry. And it's just a matter of just doing it, right? You know, if you say you're going to cut, you're going to work on client segmentation, you need to do it. If you're saying you're going to work on a fee structure, you need to do it. I love what Frank was talking about the relationship pricing. If you have the ability to relationship price, it's just incredible power that you can deliver to your clients. Yeah. No, that's great. And and it's interesting because, Frank, you have scale to do that. And and Matt, I, I want you to answer this question next. But you don't have the you don't have the scale of city, I'm guessing, but you but yet you're up against cities and other similar institutions. So I'm I'm curious to get your your perspective. But Sam, just to make sure I have the syntax right, right so you said book, bank, and community, right? Those are the three buckets. And I just love that. To- and so it's all about execution. If you can, if you can execute on that, and, and do you measure and manage based on that as well? Yes, we do. And uh, we, we, uh, with the help of Salesforce, which we just launched in 2020, as well, right in the middle of a pandemic, we launched this big, huge, you know, bank-wide uh, Salesforce uh, integration. It's been terrific, and all of the, the colleagues across the lines of business are leveraging it. So it, it has been a powerful tool for us. And yeah, I, I think it's another reason to, to, to be excited about this business going forward. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for, thanks for the insight. So, so Matt, let me have you go next. And, and then Frank, I'd like to hear your perspective on the same question about these strategic initiatives that you feel are important going forward. So Matt? Uh, sure. Thank you, Scott. So the first thing I would say is uh, we've been a big believer in, I call it the Jerry Maguire effect, right? You know, fewer households, deeper relationships. If you go back to that movie, he wrote the manifesto at the beginning of the movie and he got ostracized for it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we've been a big believer in that. Just to give you an idea. So we had, uh, before our transition of firms, we had 950 households. Today we have 511 households, yet we've moved 95% of the assets. Wow. So we've essentially cut the households in half. Now we notified every single client. We've contacted every single client. It wasn't that we chose to leave certain clients. It's just, we haven't chased them as diligently as we have others. And our whole reasoning behind this was not to, to orphan certain accounts. It was, Hey, look, while we're building the program, we're trying to catch every fish that we can, right? We can't say no, we need to be able to catch every fish we can and build as quickly as we can. But we recognize going forward, uh, we're going to have to have a lot deeper relationships with the people that we want to work with if we want to basically insulate us from competition. So we ha- we've been, after calling the households, now we've really focused on the value proposition. And essentially, I'm you know, coaching our, my youngest advisor, and I said, listen, you need to always be prepared. How do you answer the question, why shouldn't I just go to Vanguard and deal with them? Why do I need you? you better have answers to that. And it better be better than just an answer. It better be how you run your practice, right? So one of my team members describes what we do to clients as all things money. So I had a client ask one time, you know, what do you folks handle? And my team member said, we do all things money. And she said, what does that mean? And she said that we are the easy button for anything to do with a dollar. And the way I would describe it is ancillary advice, right? It's not just asset management. It's not just financial planning. It's questions like, uh, I'm looking at a piece of real estate. I know you can't really get paid to do this, but will you bring your financial calculator to the negotiation? I just want to help intimidate the person to give me a better deal. 
right? Things like that. That's what high net worth people want. And they want the easy button. They want you to be able to say, we can handle everything for you if you give us the chance to do it. It's not just the assets we take care of for you. It's not just the financial plan. It is, should you take the pension or should you take the lump sum? Do you take the monthly or the lump sum? Or should you buy or lease your next vehicle and why? Should you, you know, which insurance plan should you choose through your employer, right? These things have nothing to do with assets that are with us, zero. Uh, and after we've built this value proposition, we have actually increased client fees for three years in a row. Uh, so our ROA is actually going up. It's not going down. It's not getting squeezed. Um, I mean, we've gone back to existing clients and said, hey, listen, for what we do, the amount of hours we spend with you and the services that we offer you, we're going to bump your fee by a quarter percent. Of course, we have to get the client to sign off on that. We've never had a client say no. So I think for us, it's more value proposition driven, but we realized we could not do that for 950 households. We can barely do it for 500 households, to be honest, with six people. Um, so that's where we've really focused. I think some of these things like um, financial planning, again, again, is something that if anybody is resisting that at this point, I think they need to realize that Again, that's becoming table stakes. I mean, if you're not doing a financial plan for a client, and frankly, every single client doesn't need a financial plan. Sometimes it is a simple transaction. They walk into the branch and they need X, Y, Z, and you help them and that's it. They may not have the assets for a financial plan. But if they do, and we don't perform a financial plan, we might as well be looking for the 412 deliverer to another firm. They're going to transfer eventually because somebody's going to do a financial plan for them. And part of that plan is going to be, hey, why don't you consolidate all your assets with us? So be prepared to lose that account is the way I phrase it. Um, one of the other things we started to do, which clients have loved, is we do team meetings. I don't mean using Microsoft Teams. I mean, when we were able to do face-to-face -face meetings, all six of us are in the room with the client. So in the past, you may have had a uh, kind of a, a, a doctor or medical practice situation, you know, you go to the doctor, you have someone that checks you in, you have someone else that walks you back and get your vitals. And then, you know, you may have a nurse practitioner come in, ask you the problem. And then lastly, the doctor comes in with the prescription, right? Well, we wanted the whole team to be sitting there while we explain to the client who adds value where. So they're not just seeing me. They're not just seeing my chief of staff. They're actually meeting with my insurance specialist. So down the road, if you ever have an insurance question, this is your guy. We can handle this. They're meeting with our estate planning contacts. Down the road, if you need wills or you need trust, you don't have someone to handle it. We have a relationship with this person. We trust them. That's who it is. They're meeting with you know, my financial planner, uh, my CFP, Jason. They're, they're meeting him in person. And as we're doing the discovery and as we're doing the actual presentation, whether it's a new prospect or an existing client, uh, they see that everyone adds value. These are not just a bunch of speed bumps to insulate people from getting the mat, right? Um, and clients have loved that. So much so that now they don't even call me directly. They go directly to the individual member of the team. So if they have an insurance question, I'll look in David's office and he'll be meeting with a client we just met with two weeks ago. And I'll say, what was that about? Well, they had a question specifically regarding whole life or term and they wanted me to do an insurance review. They didn't even ask me. They went directly to David. So that's kind of what we believe in is everybody plays a role. You know, every, every player on a sports team has their position and it doesn't work without the entire team. That's kind of how we position it. And once we became that easy button for people, fees have been, not been an issue. No one has asked us, 
why, why shouldn't we go to Vanguard? Um, it just hasn't happened. So lastly, my team would tell you this is a differentiator. I'm not really so sure about it, but they say that um, because we don't use any third-party centrally managed products, so we build all of our own models. Uh, if it's a stock portfolio, we're picking the stocks. If it's a mutual fund portfolio, we're picking the funds. Uh, do we take guidance from the firms? Sure. But I decided a long time ago, I'm the one on the front line that has to sit and look at that client in the eye. And if I lose his or her money, I want to be able to explain why. I don't want to say, well, the, the manager over here must have done X, Y, or Z. No, I want to be able to explain why, because I was the decision maker that did it. Or if it worked out and the client says, hey, wow, great job. Thank you so much. That was a great year. I want to be able to say, you're welcome. We built the portfolio uh, specifically for you. Um, so that's something we've always believed in as well. Now, the firms don't love that because they want us to gather more assets, right? Uh, but what we found is because we're so different in that regard, we get unsolicited deposits. You know, clients right now are calling us saying, hey, I have $300,000 in an account I never told you about, but I like the way I work with your team and I want to move it in. And we say, oh, gee, thank you. Bring it on in. We're happy to do that. So it's a different approach, but that's another differentiator that, that we have. So again, for us, it's all about answering the question, why shouldn't we just go to the competition? What makes you all different? Uh, and that's really kind of how we handle that. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, you're, you're building a boutique firm. Um, you're, you're doing it with, with a lot of interesting differentiators, that whole team approach. Uh, you know, clients like to be surrounded by a team because it makes them feel really important and really cared for. And, and that's a big deal. You, you mentioned the um, fees haven't been an issue and that you're, that you're giving guidance on things that may have nothing to do with liquid assets which is exactly my argument for the fee-for-service model that's inevitable, right? I mean, you're, you're managing that by increasing the fees on AUM, but eventually it'll go right to fee-for-service, right? So, so good for you for, for taking a boutique approach and, and really making it work. The other thing that you mentioned was, was uh, you know, the number of households you work with. Interesting story. I'm working with the bank right now. And their top producer has the biggest territory. And for years, the program manager was threatening to reduce this guy's territory and he kicked back and he's, you know, he basically threatened to quit if the program manager reduced the territory. Well, the program manager got tired of managing. He went back into production. They hired a new program manager. The first thing the new program manager did was cut this guy's territory in half last <laughs> year, right? The guy's had the biggest year he's ever had with half the territory for the exact reasons that you were just talking about, right? It just works. So, right. anyway, Frank, uh, let, me shift, let me shift over to you because I'd love to hear your perspective from a big firm with some of these strategic initiatives that we're talking about. So, you know, it's interesting, right? We have, we have, we're, I mean, we have a big parent, but our, we're actually very much like a boutique because we're, we're, we're like small inside this big organization, which has its own challenges, right? Sometimes that's, that's great. I mean, the brand helps. Um, we have a very affluent client base, like more than, larger than any other bank and by, by like three to one. I mean, our, we have 52% of our clients that skew affluent, which is a million and up, where many banks are mass market, we're the exact opposite. But it creates its own challenges with compliance and with KYC. I mean, all of our clients are going through the you know EDD process, and it's it's incredibly difficult. I think our advisors would tell you that's the biggest challenge they have is the time that they have to spend um, on getting the client through the whole KYC process on an ongoing basis, and that's that's created its own set of challenges. We've decked people against it, and you know, unfortunately, because many of them might have you know businesses offshore, or they are they you know they're they're just their wealth creates. A list, a litany of issues that they have to confront. But 
you know, when I was listening, here's, I would tell you, you know, strategically, there's some challenges that we're all going to face. Number one, the aging population of advisors, right? The average age is almost 56 now. So that creates in and of itself, there's a shortage of people in the industry. The major firms aren't doing the training programs like they used to. I see training as a major need, um, not just to make our own people better, but to bring new people in. Two, um, I'm a big believer in teams. I think in you know, the, the way that Matt was talking about how he has his planner and we're, we've, I'm a big believer in teams in both just the, the sales side and presenting to the client and also behind the sales, right? Like having financial planner, a CFP available, have an insurance specialist, have an, an, uh, an investment specialist and someone who can, you know, basically what Matt's doing, build a portfolio. Yes, make the decisions. But I always run into the problem where, you know, if somebody's working in a bank branch, I don't know how well they can manage a portfolio and do both. Um, because, you know, when markets are moving and they're trying to make good decisions on individual securities, it just becomes a little more difficult. So a few things have happened through COVID. Number one, we now have advisors who have realized, and you just said it, that they can make do and do more revenue with less clients. They're working from home. So we're actually going to license some folks from their home location, which we compliance would have never approved a year ago. Now we see it as an opportunity to actually think a little bit more strategically, take them out of the branch, let them work from home. They can now spend more time you know, with, with the portfolios. Their NPS scores have gone up. Their revenue has gone up. They've gained more assets and, and their quality of life has gone up because they're now actually dealing with the clients that, that are, you know, it's the whole um, Pareto principle. And no matter how many years you go back and look, and even now with people saying, I know my book, 80% of the revenue when you look comes from 20 to 25% of their clients without fail. And so when you remove a lot of those smaller clients or things that are just of a service nature and transactional, you re- they really do start to get better at their craft. They get better at profiling. They get better at having a direct conversation. One of the things I've realized is many advisors struggle with having a direct conversation, like direct and asking somebody, hey, or telling them no. You know, The client says they want to buy fixed income. They've got 30 years to go. You know they should be in equity. And yet some people take the trade and go, yeah, you should be in a short duration bond fund at one and a half percent because yeah, that me- because that's what you're comfortable with versus me explaining why that's probably the worst decision you could ever make, you know? So having that direct conversation. So we teamed up with Wharton about three years ago, probably the single best thing we did. We spent about two and a half million dollars and our advisors went through a three-year program and it was a week each year and the feedback was off the charts. But what it, what it allowed them to do was to say to the client, Hey, you know what? I went to this Wharton training and this is what you know professionals do. This is how I'm, I'm out doing my business. And they embraced a lot of those you know real practice management ideas in their in their business. I would say without fail, almost every single one of them have grown their business dramatically. So we're expanding that. And and it really one of the things in there is team selling and making sure that you you have to build a service model. You can't be you know. And I think it was Matt or somebody said about the doctor, right? You got the nurse, you got the receptionist, you got the lab technician, and the doctor and you know, we're the same way. And yet, unfortunately, because it's a commission business and people aren't getting, you know, they feel like they have to be doing something to get paid. And if not, then they're not fulfilling their day. So I would say the, um, you know, I mean, uh, space is so critical. Banks and all the banks are, are getting, they're getting less of a footprint. The pandemic has brought more of that on. We're getting ready to consolidate more branches to buy by contrast, three, almost four years ago, we had 1,100 branches. Today, we have 640, and we'll probably go down to 500. Number of branches will be cut in half over like a five or six-year period, which is really incredible. When people think of a bank, right, our people rely on that, as you said, on the branches for either 
you know, introductions, referrals to meet a client. I mean, the idea that a client would have done e-cig a year ago, many of our clients said, no way, they didn't even have email. Now it's like second nature, right? So I think it's like the iPhone. Nobody knew they needed it until they had it. And then you can't live without it. And Sorry. now we're embracing, older people are embracing technology. Our, that we have 55-year-old advisors who never turned on the computer because, they, you know, now they've been forced to do it. And guess what? They're using Salesforce. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I didn't know this was out there. Not, not to mention we've been beating them over the head for the last you know, 10 years. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, with our existing folks. But, but the biggest challenge I see is, is talent. There's a huge um, amount of demand for talent for people in this business. There's less and less people coming in. We've got to figure out a way to get people coming out of college, potentially. How do you get more people to embrace the CFP and actually go and get the designation? How do you, how do you bring people in and what tends to be a commission job? We've actually segmented out. Um, we have four segments of advisors in addition to the clients. So we have a, a remote sales team, which I just took over in the last six months. And we're, we're adding 100 people. We've already had, hired 50. We're going to add another 100. We'll have 150 remote sales teams, individuals in three locations in the U.S. that will be nothing but phone-based remote um, salespeople. And that, I mean, so far, um, you know, early indications are it's going to be really, it's going to work well. But, you know, we'll see what happens in the next year. If I, if I don't have my job a year from now, you know what happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to go to state New York and join Sam. But, um so we've got call center folks that, that are going to be remote. Then we've got um, um, advisors that only focus on the fifty to two hundred thousand client. So you know they use models that the firm puts play puts in place. The client is a mass client. A lot of them, you know, maybe they're looking for robo solutions. We can give them an advisor, give them five or six models, work with them, they can, and then they also handle bank products as well. The third is our City Gold proposition, which is the two hundred to two million mark, and that's in it. So we can take these advisors and move them through these specific areas, right? While they're getting paid a salary, they're building up assets under management, they're learning how to work within the confines of a bank, you know, a, a, like a bank branch or wherever they happen to sit. And then last, you know, they become part of that team. So if they become part of a team, team embraces them, then, you know, we can get the senior members of the team to focus more on their affluent clients, have the remaining members of the team actually take those folks that maybe are in the B or C book, what we call, those are going to be great clients someday. Many of them are in the, you know, in the really great part of their career, but it might be three to five years before they have meaningful wealth, but we'll build a relationship today. And, and while the client's moving through those segments, so are the advisors. You're starting out like maybe at a call center, priority, gold, and then, and then private client. I think banks realized that margin was a problem on their side as rates dropped. And they've all looked to wealth management because to Matt's point, our, our margins aren't going down. They're actually going up from, from the standpoint of pricing where we're running into the problems is just the added expense of regulatory um, is really crushing us. You know, that just continues to, to, to grow by double digits. But if we continue to grow our top line, or hopefully that all those costs should flatline at some point, but we've got to figure out how to get more advisors you know, into the mix and the entire industry, not just city. I mean, we're all, we're all facing that, you know, right now it's, um, you know, Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab and Ameritrade. If you look at the money that we're, that, that is going out in ACH, there are four biggest competitors, one through four. It's not Merrill. It's not Morgan Stanley. It's Vanguard, Fidelity, Ameritrade, Schwab, and Ameritrade now owns Schwab. So, I mean, billions goes to those firms. Um, last year, I think we had seven billion go to that um, to th those four institutions. So we've got to figure out, right? They don't have bank branches. They've got some locations throughout the U.S. They have a great ops platform. They have they have incredible client service. 
And, you know, they have like plug and play. It's like Apple. When you, when you open an account, it works. You don't have issues. You know, um, you can go use their app. You can use their platform on, 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 the, on the laptop. And, you know, clients want that. They want ease of use. And then the other clients that we deal with most want three things, peace of mind. And how can we bring that level of trust and confidence to them to provide that? So, so Frank, you bring up a, a lot of interesting points, but one of the things I, I, I can't help but commenting on is the need for more advisors in our industry. And um, so I'll, I'll, I'll put you on the spot for a second as the, as the current president of BISA. I think that's one of the things that BISA could actually get involved with. And that, and that is increasing awareness among college students of the social relevance of our industry. So we, we start attracting more college students. And I think that positioning is important, the social relevance of what we do and how we help people. And um, if we can increase awareness of that and start recruiting more uh, kids out of college to join our industry, that's part of the solution. Part two of this special episode, which will be released a week after part one, will pick up right where we left off. In part two, we will discuss bringing new talent into the industry, understanding the emotional sale, the importance of process, technology and the client experience, and BISA's evolving value proposition. Thank you for joining us for this special BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. We would also like to thank Frank Consalo, Matt Griffin, and Sam Guerreri for sharing their insights.